0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the weekly CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. Looking forward to catching up on the markets with you this morning.
1: Morning, Dan. This was a nice weekend and happy Monday to you.
0: So, Jason, I know the Chief Investment Office just released the latest UBS House View. We'll get into that in a few moments. I will point out that the CIO letter and the investment strategy guide is now available for our listeners, our clients, up on UBS.com slash House View. Though, before we get into that, maybe we can set the table a bit for our listeners and just acknowledging that following what was a strong start to the year, risk assets have gradually been giving back their year-to-day gain. Gains with the string of sell-offs over the past few weeks. And this continued last week. We did see the selling pressure this past Friday. So what exactly, Jason, do you attribute this market dynamic to?
1: Well, if we start with what drove the markets to begin the year from a fundamental perspective, because technical factors were certainly important, it was essentially hopes for a soft landing. And it was fueled by a you know, sign to start the year of you know, rapid disinflation. And, and that was sort of a kind of a consensus view that inflation would start to fall pretty rapidly throughout the year. Global growth expectations were being revised higher, led by faster reopening in China, better than expected seasonal weather in Europe, and even in the U.S. With strong labor market data. And this combination of falling inflation but resilient growth, uh, you know, that's combined then with the fact that central banks are close to pausing hikes, that was the fundamental factor kind of driving the soft landing kind of view that lifted all assets for the most part really through the month of uh, January. Once we got to February, though, things started to change, and they, they really in some way kind of changed starting with the January January payrolls report that we got on February 3rd, which far exceeded expectations, so very strong labor market growth. And it really kind of set the tone of the data we've seen for the past few weeks, which is stronger than expected uh, your growth day in the U.S. economy from the labor market to consumer spending, uh, your retail sales, data that we got last week on January personal, consum- personal consumption expenditures, those are better than expected, but we're also then seeing evidence of inflation not coming down as quickly as people were assuming, and we got that last week with the PCE data, which is what which the Fed focuses on. You know, it's surprised to the upside. Uh, other data that is more high frequency, like used car prices, they actually show a bit of an uptick uh, early in February. So after declining steadily and being a factor in bringing inflation down, those are going in the other direction. So now you have a situation where. On the one hand, growth is is better than expected. It's pushing out maybe the timing of of recession, but also inflation is hotter, and therefore the Fed has to hike more. And we've seen a pretty dramatic revision in terms of the market pricing for Fed rate hikes, which is now for 25 in March, 25 in early May, and then basically almost like a full 25% hike in June. You know, barely uh, at the start of this month, we were 40 basis points less than that. So it was a hike plus a little bit. So pretty dramatic move we've seen in the market expectation for rate hikes. So we've gone from pretty benign soft landing situation to a more complicated story of good growth, higher probability of soft landing, but also higher risk of a hard landing later on because the Fed just has to keep aggressively hiking rates to deal with the fact that inflation may become stickier than people were anticipating.
0: Now that we have a better understanding as to how we got to where we are today, I do want to talk about the CIO letter for a few moments. That title is Inflections Diverge. Some context around that, the letter discusses how inflections in the macroeconomy are occurring at different speeds in different regions, which is interesting, though. Jason, how does that tie in with your explanation for market performance over the past few weeks?
1: Well, the more clearly positive inflections are occurring for China and the eurozone and I I kind of lump the different macro variables that we're looking at from growth inflation and policy rates together where there's clearly improvements uh, on the on the growth front in China and eurozone some of the eurozone inflation is coming down you know kind of more clearly more so than the U.S. where it's become a little stickier and some of that is just the fact that uh, you know that gas prices and energy prices are falling you know more than expected but still the the direction of travel is, is more optimistic there uh, whereas, I alluded to already, the U.S. picture is more complicated. Growth is better than expected and higher than expected. Inflation is also higher than expected. So when we thought about the inflection points this year, it was the idea that you know, growth would slow within the U.S. in the first half, it would bottom out either avoiding a recession or maybe a mild recession, and then start to inflect more positively by before the end of the year. What we're seeing is data that would ex- suggest, at least on a one month one basis, a reacceleration of the U.S. economy versus, you know, from the fourth quarter, which is not what you would anticipate as, uh, as a result of all this policy tightening. We'll see if that's a one-month anomaly, but it certainly kind of raises the question that, you know, growth will just sort of hold steady and then maybe even reaccelerate, accelerate uh, unless the, fir- the Fed does something significant to, to continue to hike rates and really kind of cool the economy. So that inflection point isn't going as sort of anticipated. On the inflation front, you know, we've already inflected lower, but we hadn't really had an inflection in core inflation measures. And, And given the latest inflation data, it suggests we haven't really had the clear inflection there either. So sort of delayed inflection there. And then for the Fed, the pause that was sort of widely expected to occur after the March hike, now it might take three months later. And on top of that, Instead of having to Fed maybe start cutting rates later this year, that's almost entirely a price out of the market and looks unlikely unless things deteriorate very, very rapidly in the second half of this year. Otherwise, the reflection to rate cutting is, is a 2024 story. So it's a better, kind of at least a cleaner, clearer story outside of the US, uh, whereas the US story is more complicated. And I think just looking at market performance, you can see it. You know, things rallied across the board in January. So far in, in February, U.S. assets from equities to bonds are down. But if you look at Eurozone equity performance year-to-date, it's outperformed you know, the U.S. by you know, six or seven percentage points. Uh, what we're seeing there is like earnings revisions are actually going up versus down in the U.S., meaning the better-than-expected growth outlook is actually translated into better expectations for earnings, whereas in the U.S., there's probably still more downgrades to materialize. So that's sort of the divergence that we're seeing. It's reflected in market performance. Uh, and it's sort of the challenge that investors face is like how you know does a, the, these different inflection points or paths ultimately you know play out within the U.S. Because the past couple of weeks have really more muddied the waters. And added yeah, sort of clouds as we're kind of drawing going down the road as opposed to kind of you know kind of the sun parting and clearing out and so yes, things are all good going forward.
0: Well it's interesting to hear about how the US is faring relative to other regions across the globe. And at this point, Jason, we've covered for our listeners, our clients, what has been driving recent market performance. I know in prior conversations when we get into Outlook commentary, you've mentioned how there is a degree of uncertainty ahead of us. So if we do look ahead now, Jason, can you speak a bit to have the house view outlook has changed with the latest update.
1: So I think the overall message from the house view, uh, you know, it hasn't changed that dramatically. Our asset class preferences by and large at, at a broad level did not change this month. Uh, given the macro environment globally in the US, I think for the near term a little bit more optimism, meaning over the next like us say three months, I think over the medium term perhaps a little more pessimism. And even though there's different time sequences, if you just think about the, the distribution of macro outcomes, you know, more optimism near term is sort of consistent with the possibility of ultimately getting the soft landing scenario, with greater probability than we would have anticipated coming into the year. At the same time, the more complicated macro picture in the US suggests there's a greater risk that the Fed has to just keep hiking to bring inflation down. And the only way they can kind of really bring inflation out of the economy is to induce a proper recession, so a harder landing. So that to the left side, the, the downside tail risk is also increased. I think a simple way to sort of see that is if you look at the update in our price targets for the S&P 500 with this house view update, we had a target for of 3,700 for the S&P at the end of June, or in June we revised that higher to 3,900. At the same time, the December price target was 4,000, and we revised down down to 3,800. So if you think about the trajectory of where the S&P was to start the year, we were basically saying difficult first half, going down to 3,700, which would have been a decline roughly close to 10%. Before you get a recovery in the second half this year as the macro environment improves, as you get these inflection points clearly trending positively. Now the trend is a little bit lower from current levels into end of June and a little bit further down by end of year. These are not dramatic moves. So really I really think that the best way to interpret it is that we see kind of flat uh, to slightly negative outlook for U.S. equities over the time period. A lot of volatility, a lot of potential market swings between even now in June and now and the year end. But the direction of travel is, is flat to slightly down with more pain as we move further into the year. And that reflects, you know, the fact that economic momentum is still strong. We could get data in the next couple of weeks for February that shows well, growth is good it is moderating the labor market it is, is cooling so you see wage growth there uh you know come down and the inflation data suggests that part of what was going on in january was quirky seasonal adjustments that are hard to kind of calibrate uh there's also an aspect of sometimes prices are reset at the start of the year so there's always a bit of a maybe bump higher in january and that was kind of distorting the data so we could get better data that in two weeks the fears of this hard landing kind of dial back a little bit and equities could kind of go higher and growth could be sort of, again, kind of about, you're talking about that sort of soft-lining scenario. But given the policy tightening, and the and inflation is staying sticky, it's likely the Fed sort of errs more, again, more on the side of trying to do a little too much rather than too little. And and the pain for this ultimately won't really be felt until later this year. And one thing we know economically is we can look at a lot of different leading indicators, but probably the most consistent one, and we know that's going to have a real economic impact, is the fact that lending conditions uh, are are getting more restrictive. The cost of capital and borrowing is going up. And so whether that is consumers uh, that will slowly kind of deplete their, their excess savings and kind of start to impair their balance sheet for small businesses that have been a key driver of hiring in, this, uh, in the past couple of years, if they start to feel the pinch of higher borrowing costs, ultimately there should be some economic pain and growth should slow later this year. The question is just how much. And I think that's why we you know, sort of see the trajectory of, of, the, of the S&P kind of coming down as the year goes on. If you look, though, that, uh, you know, you know, other parts of the economy, you know, uh, things are a little bit more, you know, more optimistic there in terms of, uh, of, of uh, you know, of the global environment. We're seeing that in data out of Europe, you know, recently out of China. So the overall global story is still, you know, positive, which is why we maintain kind of a preference for emerging market equities, you know, versus U.S. equities. Um, it's also why we have a still, a, you know, kind sort of a preference, um, for, for up and quality within kind of fixed income. Uh, you know, versus uh, uh, lower quality, given the rise in rates that we've seen thus far.
0: So, Jason, with that outlook in mind, maybe we can turn now to positioning as we begin to close out. So per the House view, what asset allocation guidance, Jason, are you giving to investors to help them navigate this market turbulence?
1: If you think about uh, you know the overall picture, given that it is kind of complicated, I'd say it's more kind of stay the course, stay invested. Uh, you know, there'll be turbulence in this kind of a no-landing environment that we're in for the time being before we ultimately kind of figure out whether it's a soft landing or hard landing. So there will be market swings, but we can go either way very, very quickly. I think where we can have a little more conviction is that with the recent rise in bond yields, you know, the 10-year is almost at 4% right now, that this is not a bad time to be you know, lengthening a little bit of duration. Back in January, house you updates, the 10-year right around that time it fallen to about 2.4%, so quite a bit lower. At that time, we thought the 10-year was sort of the low end of the range we anticipated it traded in from a 34 to 3.9%. So at the time, in January, we suggested trimming some duration. You don't want to have the exposure to rising interest rates. It sort of played out you know, very neatly for us over the course of the five weeks. So now that we're at the top of that range, it's not a bad time to, to add some duration into your portfolio, skewing more towards high-quality fixed income. This doesn't mean that the 10-year the couldn't go to like 4.1%, 4.2%. But we don't think it's going to stay there sustainably unless we really get a lot of evidence that inflation is really sticky and the Fed doesn't just raise rates three more times, but ultimately they have to go to something like you know 6%, so like almost five more 25 basis point rate hikes, a possibility, but not something we'd want to be positioned for at this point in time. So given that and given where yields are, you know, the idea of still kind of going up in quality and fixed income you know, makes sense. But now when we think about it from a cross asset perspective, if we start to compare You know, within, so it's called corporate America, do you want to own US equities or do you want to own something safer, higher up in the capital structure, which is, you know, high quality investment grade corporate bonds? At the margin, corporate bonds, you know, investment grade corporate bonds look a little bit more attractive because they have yields of, you know, five and a half percent roughly. Given where we think the tenure is at the top end of the range, the rate risk you're kind of exposed to higher rates is, you you know, relatively modest and something that we feel comfortable with. Whereas if uh, things do deteriorate, rates are likely to come down, and so you get the benefit of the tail one of declining rates means declining yields and credit spreads, and credit will kind of benefit from that. Going into mm-hmm. equities, with an S and P around 4,000, thinking about our price targets to June and to year end, kind of flat, you know, not a lot of, of upside. Uh, things could rally, but if they rally, it probably means you get a much better macro environment where corporate you know, bond spreads can tighten and interest rates decline. So even you know, IG bonds would sort of benefit. So even if we're wrong, I think the scenario where we're going to wrong the loss is, is kind of, you know, kind of somewhat modest. And this is consistent with our preferences of liking uh, IG as the most preferred asset class and U.S. equities, U.S. large cap growth in particular being least preferred. So a simple way I would think of it is with investment grade corporate bonds, it's relatively low risk return. Versus relatively returnless risk by U.S. equities. Not a lot of, you know, return with a lot of, a fair amount of volatility and risk on, on U.S. equities. So the margin, it makes sense, I think, to sort of tilt your portfolio a little bit in the direction of, of credit over equities at this point in time. Uh, within equities, we made some sector changes. Uh, the allocation before had been quite defensive on the concerns about a difficult first half. Now that appears to be the case that it's not going to be quite as challenging. We want to be a little bit less defensive, a little bit more balanced with a still defensive tilt. So as a result, you know, healthcare, typically defensive sector, we've downgraded that from most preferred to neutral, upgraded real estate, which is a little more mixed in some aspects that are bond proxies, so a little more defensive in that regard, but also a more cyclical elements, and then also downgraded communication services from neutral to least preferred. It's dominated by two companies, so, you know, Google and Facebook that face you know, competitive pressures that could put their performance, you know, sort of challenged for the time being, and we still have tech as, as least preferred. So that was the, the changes. In terms of outside of the U.S., I, we would like emerging market equities. Um, even though their valuations are cheap to the U.S., really the driver is sort of just a better earnings outlook, seeing you know, going forward as China reopens into the you know, the rest of the world, or to the rest of the EM world kind of benefits from that. Uh, and we're seeing also that you know kind of in the Eurozone, as I mentioned earlier, earnings revisions are, are positive. And the final thing is on commodities, these are an asset class that should benefit from you know, rising global growth. They haven't really thus far but the fundamentals still point in the direction of them doing well. And if you have a situation where inflation stays sticky, the Fed has to raise rates, we get a bit of replay of what we had last year where it's not a good environment for equities, it's not a great environment for bonds, What did really well last year is commodities, and part of the reason why inflation might be sticky is because commodity prices are are rising again. So it's a nice kind of portfolio diversification as well from that perspective. So that'll stop there.
0: Jason, very productive conversation to begin the week. Thank you for dropping by top of the morning for the CIO Strategy Snapshot to keep our listeners, our clients, current on CIO's market outlook and asset allocation guidance, and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon.
1: You're welcome and have a good weekend.
0: Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we have been joined by Jason Trejo, head of asset allocation Americas for the UBS chief investment office. Again, I do want to point our listeners, our clients to the latest UBS house view, the CIO letter. That title is Inflections the Verge is now available up on UBS.com slash house view. Though for clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the latest UBS house view directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.